Hello and welcome to another episode of Schlock Tactics, the movie podcast where we believe that badder is better and aim to review the summer camp slash em ups so that you don't have to. My name is Ash and I'm joined once again by Mark. Oh hi Mark. Hello. How are you doing? I'm good. Are you excited for our camping trip this weekend? I am, yes. Yes folks, we are going on a camping trip to a festival this weekend. Uh, but before we do that, we are going to review for you an iconic uh, summer camp slasher franchise, the Sleepaway Camp franchise. Uh, in fact, we're going to review the trilogy for you, which we don't do very often on the podcast, but we thought we'll do three in a row for you here. If you missed the last episode we did, you can still go back and check that out. We did review two movies from the Leprechaun franchise, Leprechaun in Space and Leprechaun in the Hood, two movies that are easily as ridiculous as they sound. And uh, yeah, a lot of people seem to like that episode, so go back and check that out in the archive. Uh, but today, as I said, we are talking about uh, a trilogy. Uh, they actually did more than three films, but we've chosen to do the first three Sleepaway Camp films. Starting with the very first Sleepaway Camp from 1983, now uh, a cult classic. Mark, uh, what were your first impressions of Sleepaway Camp? Have you ever heard of this film before? I'd heard of it, really didn't know anything about it other than... It was the title. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was also known as Nightmare Vacation, which I don't think is as good a title. Yeah. Um, Sleep Boy Camp does tell you all you need to know about the film. Yeah. And you're probably expecting something like Friday the 13th, and that's exactly what it is. Yeah, it's quite generic. It was pretty much what you would expect, I think. So, yeah, for people that don't know, this was a, a slasher film from 1983, which came out sort of in, in the height of the slasher, really. Um, you know, Halloween and Friday the 13th that had major success before this film, so uh, this this was another example of that, and also films like My Bloody Valentine and The Burning, slasher films were not always set in during summer camps, but they seemed to be the cheapest and um, most effective way of killing off loads of teenagers uh, in, in, one, in one load. Uh, so Sleepaway Camp, it does, uh, is actually set in Camp Arawak, is the actual name of the camp, just like... Uh, Camp Crystal Lake is also known as Camp Blood. Mm-hmm. Camp Arawak is known as Sleepaway Camp. And uh, the film opens with kind of a, a flashback of uh, two children the lake with their father. We, we cut to uh, a young couple driving a speedboat. And the, the girl says, let me drive, let me drive. Mm-hmm. And the guy's like, oh, God, <laughs> women, all right, I guess you can <laughs> drive. And then she starts driving the boat and she just kind of starts looking behind her. She's not looking what she's doing. She's yeah. just a, a fool. She doesn't know how to operate a speedboat properly, and sadly she runs right through this uh, young family in the water there. So this this speedboat accident sadly kills the uh, father and the son, um, leaving just the daughter alive out of this family. So then we do fast forward uh, eight years after this, and uh, young Angela, basically living with her auntie uh, and her cousin, her auntie has taken her in and, uh, and looked after her. And um, she gets shipped off, uh, Angela and Ricky, her cousin, both get shipped off to, to Camp Arawak here for the summer. As soon as we get to the camp, we get some very shifty adult characters, um, <laughs> to say the least, standing outside of the, uh, the staff, basically, at this camp, uh, are very inappropriate, and one character in particular. I've just written horrible paedophile. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One character is a horrible paedophile. I think this is your first indication that this movie, and indeed this franchise, 
is highly uh, politically incorrect. Yeah. Um, this is going to be an exploitation film. There's going to be some horrible things that have not dated well at all. And this paedophile character has some just gross dialogue. Ricky, uh, he wants to meet up with his friend from camp last year called Judy. Uh, who his friend tells him, oh, you should see her now, motioning to uh, to his chest. Judy Big Tits, I have written <laughs> on here, uh, who's kind of the, the resident bitch. Um, she rocks uh, a wonderful, massive side ponytail at various points. Lots of lots of small jean shorts as well on the, the women and the men. Straight away, Angela has trouble fitting in with the rest of the girls. She doesn't talk at all. She's completely mute, really. We don't hear her talk for a very long time in the film. We get this character in the film, which, who I love, called Ron, or Ronnie, who is like the, the head counsellor. And he's just this huge, his arms and his pecs, and he's squeezed into these little tank tops and shorts as, as well. Yeah. Um, I don't know what he was doing before this, but I'm, but yeah, wrestler, bodybuilder. But he, uh, he, he seems to be a nice guy, and he says, well, Angela, will take you into the kitchen, and we'll find you something to eat. Um, but unfortunately, in the kitchen, we do have this nonce chef <laughs> hanging about. Obviously, he takes Angela into the back room to, quote, find her something to eat. <laughs> and he's just unbuckling when uh, when Ricky walks in and uh, interrupts him. And he says, you know, don't either of you tell anyone about this or I'll kill <laughs> you, you know. And then he does. He does get his later on when, uh, when checking on the... Checking on something boiling in a massive vat. In a massive vat, yeah. It's an accident waiting to happen. Yeah. And he he has to stand on a chair to look into this vat because it's so tall and like teetering on a table. And then we see an an unseen killer. Point of view shot of someone coming in to pull it all over. Kind of classic slasher um, POV shot or like an Italian giallo um, style. It's just the hands that you see appear to be the hands of a man. Mm. Um, push, pushing uh, pushing this guy into the vat and he, he falls on the floor and there's this really prolonged kind of close-up of his head where he's screaming really over the top Yeah. and you get the sense that maybe something more is meant to be happening with the, with the effect but nothing is really happening <laughs> I think maybe someone's pumping air into his face and some blisters are sort of just like shaking and yeah I, I think they told him that we're going to operate something in your in your makeup and it's going to look gross so go nuts and yeah. he did but the makeup didn't didn't really match up with it so it's just this paedophile guy screaming on the floor and um, yeah that's the that's the end of, of the dirty chef there the uh, the owner of the camp this guy called Mel he wants to keep everything quiet he's, he's a bit like the mayor in Jaws um, he doesn't want anything to ruin the uh his business, his yeah. summer, his summertime business. So he's like, well, you know, we'll get rid of this uh, this guy and you, you over there, you're the head chef now. Oh, okay. And you all get fifty dollars extra a week if you stay on and don't tell anyone yeah. what happened. So pay him more to keep him quiet. Yeah, that's a good idea. We get a wonderful uh, scene here where all the kids are playing baseball again in like tiny denim shorts. We we see a sort of a divide between the nerdier kids, including uh, Ricky, the character. Um, and the, the jocks, there's still that kind of device. One of the kids playing baseball is so looks like he's playing like a Game Boy or like a, like a calculator. Yeah. He's so nerdy that he's playing a calculator for fun, maybe. <laughs> um, I couldn't quite see what he was doing. One of the jocks shouts at the nerds, Why don't you eat shit and die? And he says, Oh, yeah, why don't you eat shit and live? <laughs> oh, good comeback. I have to think about that one. <laughs> it's not a bad comeback. 
there seems to be a constant like really lame disco going on in the main sort of building um, which is just a sort of a, a vehicle for the teenagers to try and fuck each other basically yeah. seems to be the case <laughs> so t- two of these jocks sort of try their luck with Angela even though she's still not speaking in chat lines such as hey Angela how come you're so fucked up <laughs> so, to which she doesn't have any reply of course. They're sort of asking her out at the start and then they just sort of start insulting her instead. Yeah. Like, well, so. uh, yeah, if you if you, if you can't if you can't go one way, go another way, yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Ricky's mate Paul um, steps up here as the love interest and then um, she starts making eyes at him straight away so you think, Oh, something's happening. Mm. She speaks her first words of the film. Because he's actually been nice to her. Yeah, he's just been nice and he hasn't told her that she's insane. Now, after this sort of half-assed disco, a lot of the kids sneak out to the lake and start dicking about in boats. I don't know really what they're doing. Getting high. Getting high, getting drunk, trying to fuck each other, and trying to encourage people to go skinny dipping. There's lots of quite butch-looking uh, jock kind of kids wearing, like, crop tops and jean shorts but there is quite a cool scene here where uh, one of the canoes gets capsized the camera shoots from inside the capsized canoe where obviously his head is just above the water uh, facing him but then you see our unknown killer's head pop up in front of the camera um, so you still don't know who it is pulled down and then you see a hand coming out yeah he gets drowned here uh, under the canoe we do get some quite Quite cool effects. The next day, when he's discovered, turns over the canoe, and there's, there's Kenny all sort of like wizened, wizened by the lake water and stuff, yeah. and like waterlogged, and like a, a snake comes out of his mouth. So I thought that was quite decent. It was a bit like the the head in jaws, like the, the watery severed head in jaws. It was more impressive than the guy's burnt face in yeah. the kitchen. <laughs> it's the most impressive makeup thus far. Yeah, this one they, they can't keep quiet because the next shot is there is ambulance people carrying a body bag in front of loads of traumatised kids looking on. So, yeah, it's over. Everyone knows something. Someone has died. <laughs> someone, at least one person has died. Yeah. Paul and, and Angela start getting on a lot better. He, he, uh, he invites her to go see a movie in the rec room. Uh, they have their first kiss, and of course this, this uh, causes even more problems for Angela because uh, the rest of the girls are kind of uh, give her a hard time or maybe jealous of her getting a bit of action because not doesn't seem like many other people are. Uh, it seems like this is the most action you're seeing here. Um, Judy is sort of um, getting jealous and annoyed that Angela's sort of getting on well with a boy. There's also a character called Meg, one of the more senior counsellors who uh, is kind of a bitch as well. She starts freaking out because Angela won't sort of talk to her, acknowledge her. She starts like, shaking her by the shoulders. Yeah. What's wrong with you? Why You're don't men- you talk? You're yeah. mental. Why don't you acknowledge me? Yeah. I think probably the correct response to that kind of person <laughs> shaking you by the shoulders, you know. Uh, there's a, a great quote here um, from Judy who's trying to, trying to get back at Angela and she says, you're a carpenter's dream, flat as a board and in need of a good screw. <laughs> Which was amazing. <laughs> They're having a water fight and uh, one of the kids throw like, a water bomb at Angela. This person, you know, mere hours later is having a shit in the toilets. <laughs> And uh, somebody puts a wasp's nest through the um, through, yeah. through the sort of screen there, and killing him as well. So that was kind of gruesome as well. Ish. You didn't see much of it. No. But the suggestion was the quite suggestion. Bad. Yeah, yeah. Sitting on minding your own business, having a shit, and a wasp's nest drops on your head. 
absolutely spot. covered in wasps. Covered quite so bad. You couldn't even see his face. Angela and Paul sort of getting down to business on a beach. Some heavy petting <laughs> on the beach, and we get this really weird flashback, which doesn't even really make sense when you've seen the whole film. But um, it's basically a flashback where it's revealed that Angela, Angela's dad, is gay. Yeah. He's in in bed with another man. And the bed's kind of like spinning around, and then you see Angela and her brother that was killed in the boating accident facing each other, sitting in bed, just kind of like pointing at each other. Yeah. This is all kind of like, you know, hinting at what, what will come later in the film, but until that point, you're probably pretty confused by this. Yeah. Yeah. At the same time, they're having, again, some sort of social, again, and a pretty lame disco in the main building, not much going on, just cheesy 80s music, and um, teenagers trying to fuck each other again. Judy actually doesn't go to the social. She stays in her room because uh, she's expecting her, her boyfriend to come to come over. And um, she ends up getting curled to death by curling tongs. An unknown person comes into the room and we just see this silhouette in the doorway. Death by curling tongs, however you want to imagine that. That's that's what's happened. Now the old guy here is, is convinced that it's Ricky who's been killing everyone. Which would make sense. He's the cousin of Angela and all these people have been dicks to Angela. So it would make sense if that were the case. So Mel is convinced of it and he's again starts acting pretty inappropriately towards a child, starts like chucking him about and shaking him about. Yeah. It's you, isn't it? You've been killing everyone, you little shit. Mm-hmm. And then moments later, Mel gets an arrow through the neck. Yeah. So it can't be Ricky. Police are turning up on the scene. I don't know if you noticed here, there was a policeman with a ludicrous fake moustache. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't not notice that. It was like the Beastie Boys sabotage video. Yeah. Uh, It was this kind of like duct tape moustache. Ridiculously ridiculously thick. Yeah. Luxurious taped on moustache. We get to the climax of the film where Angela invites Paul to go skinny dipping. She didn't seem like she was up for that. No. She's got a bit of a crazy look in her eye. And he's like, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> she, she looks a bit disconnected from reality and, and asks him to go skinny dipping. And he's all good tired. Obviously, everyone's looking for, uh, for Angela, looking for Paul. Lots of dead bodies turning up. And the police uh, happen upon uh, Angela on the beach, uh, naked, uh, cradling Paul in her arms. And then we get a, another flashback to where... Angela is first going to live with her auntie, but <laughs> it's a little boy with a bandage on his head, fresh from the accident, and the auntie reveals that, yes, I think you're going to be a girl, not a boy. I've already got a boy. We don't need another boy. I've always wanted a little girl. Yeah. So that's what we'll do. <laughs> you will be a little girl. And then you cut back to the beach, and Angela is stood up with the severed head of Paul, and a knife in the other hand, and the camera just pulls out in a really iconic shot of, uh, of her naked, and she is indeed a boy. With a crazy look in her eye, but she's looking to the side. Yeah, like, iconic facial expression, this weird, like, Pretty noise. the coolest part of the film, actually. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's, the, it's more iconic than anything else in the film. Yeah. And, of course, the reveal you see is that she is a boy. She has it hanging out on the beach, and... Um, Big Ron, the uh, the bodybuilder guy. Oh my god, she's a boy! <laughs> and that's it, just quite a hard that's crash it. to the credits. Yeah. Um, with just her, her face frozen, I think it goes like bright green or something. And there's this like cheesy 80s music kicks in. Mm. I have to assume you didn't know that this was going to happen. 
No. So you are, you are someone who watched Sleep Boy Camp without knowing this twist, one of the most almighty twists in all of horror. Yeah. I have to bask in your innocence for a moment. What 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 was it like? What did you did you figure out any of this beforehand that this was coming? What, um, what did you think of the twist? I mean, I think I thought that she would be the killer, but I didn't think about yeah. the whole sexual. Well, you wouldn't really. <laughs> no. Yeah, there's no hint at this um, at all. Yeah, I just guess I didn't. Um, but you weren't expecting that. No, it's pretty shocking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's nothing quite like that. Seeing that twist for the first time. Yeah. Like you say, I think most people were suspecting she was going to be the killer. That's not the twist. Yeah. There's another rug pull coming. Yeah. And yeah. um, like we said earlier, it's not a very politically correct film, and obviously this twist hasn't dated that well. Um, with our, our 2018 eyes, obviously looking back at this twist that someone is a different gender than you thought they were, it's not like not dated very well, you know, in terms of transgender and how we how we view transgender things nowadays. But I don't think they were trying to make any kind of lofty um, commentary on anything it was meant no. to be a big twist and a rug pull oh you thought this was a girl no it's not and, and I think that's what makes it a great a great twist the transphobic debate didn't exist back then no it didn't and it's not really discussed in the film at all um, and to be fair she was the victim in the film as mm. well as the killer which is an interesting kind of point and also she never chose to live as a girl she was forced to live as a girl so we we didn't know whether she actually wanted to be a girl or not. That none of that was discussed. Yeah. And it's only watching this film with today's mindset that you would even think of all that stuff. No one in nineteen eighty three was thinking of transgender politics and anything like that. It was just like, Holy shit, I thought yeah. this was a girl for the whole film. Yeah. And the way they did the shot, they just they just obviously had a male actor and her head like superimposed on top. Yeah. Like you say, not even that was enough. They had to have this weird expression and this weird sound is just yeah. Twist aside, what what were your overall thoughts of this film? If it hadn't have been the twist, would it would it have been as good? I enjoyed it. It wasn't like a, a twist aside. It wasn't like a, it wasn't like a huge plot. It was just like a, a yeah. shy girl, well, and it, her cousin. Kind of generic. There's some murders happening at a camp. Yeah, but it was enjoyable. It's hard and to watch um, it again because once you know that, you can't view it the same again. No, and probably if you're watching it for the first time and you don't know that's coming, you're thinking. It's pretty by the numbers, camp slasher. Yeah. And once that happens, you kind of find yourself quickly trying to reevaluate the whole rest of the film in, in light of it. And, like, yeah, I think the first film is entirely validated by, by that twist. And, yeah, so that's the first Sleepaway Camp kicking off the trilogy in 1983. So, after the uh, the cult success of, of Sleepaway Camp, uh, we fast forward to 1988 when they decided to follow it up with. Sleepaway Camp 2, subtitle Unhappy Campers, or Nightmare Vacation 2, but again, I don't know why they're persisting with that ultimate title, it is surely Sleepaway Camp by now, Um, but yeah, Sleepaway Camp 2, Unhappy Campers, straight away we do open with uh, a campfire scene, very traditional horror opening, people sitting around the campfire telling scary stories, we get some of the greatest mullets (laughs) <laughs> in in 80s cinema history just almost every one of these young uh, men has a luxurious mullet we can see from their uh, jumpers that it's now called Camp Rolling Hills because just as they do in all the Friday the 13th films once someone gets massacred you have to change the name to convince anyone to come back to it so it's now Camp Rolling Hills don't know what you're talking about Camp Arawak never heard of it uh, Camp Rolling Hills 
I thought this was quite cool at the beginning, rather than getting like loads of stock footage of the first film, which is what you typically get in um, horror sequels. <clears throat> we get the plot of the first film recapped in the form of a ghost story um, yeah. by I, one of the other characters. I thought that was quite a semi-clever little thing yeah. to do. Yeah, and this one, th- this film does get a bit more meta and a bit more knowing to the horror genre. So there's obviously one of the stories is about Angela Baker. Just to recap, in the first film, we do straight away get it out of the way that she has now had a sex change and she is now a, a woman. So I was quite relieved at that point that we weren't going to get any more awkwardness around her being being transgender. Yeah. She has had a sex change, she is a woman. Let's move on. I was I was really glad about Let's that. Put that to bed. Yeah, thank God for that. And that wasn't going to be what the character was moving on, which I was glad about. So yeah, this uh, all this ghost story talk is broken up by Angela. She's right there mm. in the camp, sort of just off off screen. Uh, here is Angela, not not played by Felissa Rose from the first film, but played by Pamela Springsteen, sister of Bruce Springsteen. Don't really waste any time here. Um, she's killing someone in the first sort of five five minutes. Uh, massive log to the head and cuts her tongue off so she can't tell anyone else about it Yeah, she also can't tell anyone else because she's dead right. so uh, I that was necessary we get some opening credits here in the first of a uh, couple of instances of some hair metal yeah. uh, in this film or sort of thrash metal but with hair metal vocals tits in the first five minutes as well pretty much to the girls dorm room as we said earlier a lot more tits a lot more often in this yeah. film they're just like let's do it and more deaths as well a lot more deaths. Mm-hmm. More deaths and more tits. It's kind of, yeah, it's the, it's the kind of rule with horror sequels. Just more. That's more. the trajectory with the yeah, horror sequel. It absolutely is. More is more. And what do horror fans like? Tits and blood. <laughs> um, we're in the girls' dorm room again, just girls with their tits out walking around. Angela comes in and she's like, I'll put those tits away. You know, you shouldn't have to show them. But <laughs> there are two young lads outside, one on each other's shoulders. With a, a Polaroid camera, it's <laughs> just like ah, that, those are the days when you know you would have to take your Polaroid camera to try and uh, to try and sneak a, a picture of some boobs. Different times, and there's sort of a, a, a main building here where everyone congregates for their for their meals, and we get sort of a real quick introduction to a couple of different characters. TC is also the other head counselor along with, with Angela. He has got pro- probably the thickest mullet in the film mm-hmm. um, he's sort of like the equivalent of Ron from the first film he's not he's not quite as muscular but he makes up for it with a quite a muscular mullet so he's going to be Angela's kind of counterpart also introduced to some characters called the shit sisters <laughs> with these two sort of stoner characters we are introduced to Angela's musical abilities as well she sings the happy campers song uh, and everyone sort of claps and waves their hands around in a sort of weird evangelical sort of moment. Um, there's sort of a weird mix of people that like her and don't like her. She's obviously rebranded and given herself a new identity um, since murdering everyone in the first film. Um, and, and we get the idea that she's been into like mental institutions as well and been kind of released into society since then and taken on a new identity. Yeah, we get a poolside scene, which is quite fun, quite quite fast times at Bridgemont High as well. There's a girl with like a wet top, and you can see her breast through it, and then the guy's like, party hats at two o'clock. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's Ali. I've not she... heard that one before. <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't heard that one, but I'll try, I'll try and use it. Um, Ali is, is the girl that most often gets her tits up. Yeah. And there's, yeah, she goes in the pool. With Any her, chance to get with her, with, yeah, with a t-shirt on. Then Angela is Angela's watching all of this, but she she goes um, into the woods and she does find the shit sisters. 
getting pissed, copping off with a bloke as well. So she, she kind of has a barbecue with them. One of them is passed out. Next thing you know, she wakes up to find her, her sister as a sort of blackened skeleton bit of a barbecue with these two girls. It kind of tells them they shouldn't do drugs. That's why she's killing them. So we get this kind of um, Jason Voorhees kind of moralising. You know, she only kills people who are bad. Yeah. And bad things that you shouldn't do. Which is lifted straight out of Friday the 13th. That's exactly what Jason does. You take drugs, I'm going to set you on fire. Yeah. In, in any Friday the 13th film, anyone taking drugs, having sex, they're going to be killed. And Angela is kind of patterned herself after Jason uh, in a weird way. Uh, th- there's a panty raid <laughs> on the girl's dorm. I've never heard of that either. And it's just where all the male characters run in and steal, oh, yeah. steal uh, women's underwear and run out again. That was really weird. It's not really um, touched upon any more than that. It's just something that happens in summer camp. They try and the girls try and sort of terrorise the boys to get back to them. So there's a character called Mare who uh, also getting her tits out. One, one of them as well. And uh, Angela doesn't like this, so she takes her into her into a car. Gets a massive drill and drills her through the head, I guess. And as the blood goes everywhere, and there's sort of a lost property announcement the next day in the in the mess hall. And TC is like, "Yeah, we got a few missing items: electric drill, rope, <laughs> some like hammers, some knives." Like, so the weird thing about this film is that it's it's kind of meta in that horror movies that we know exist in this universe. They know about Jason and they know about Freddy because they've yeah. made a Jason mask and they've made a Freddy mask. But they've broken the fourth wall. Yeah, bro- yeah, they have broken the fourth wall. So, if anyone hasn't seen the poster for this film, look it up, Sleepaway Camp 2. I'm going to show Mark the poster here that shows how meta the film is. <laughs> Just pack as much, like, many references as you can. Yeah. Like, so if people look this up, it's a, it's a young girl with a backpack on with a Jason Voorhees mask and a Freddy glove sticking out the back, <laughs> which I think they're probably just trying to rope people into seeing this, thinking it's one of those films when it's not. Yeah, it's um, just the, like because they only reference they only and they never they don't refer to them by name. It's just someone is dressed like Jason Voorhees, someone is dressed like Freddy, and then uh, um, Angela is dressed as Leatherface. Yeah. So it's three like ho- iconic horror characters that exist within this universe. But it's only briefly comes up. And I don't, I don't know if you recognise the character on that poster. No, because no, she's not in the film. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, that's Angela. No, it's not Angela. Uh, same thing with Sleepaway Camp 3. I'll show you the picture for that. Yeah, that's Who's not, that character? It's no one. We don't know. <laughs> so there you go. Sleepaway camp, rich tradition of not putting anyone that's in the film on their posters. <laughs> uh, and also just having weird, quite shit posters. But yeah, this is breaking up the fourth wall. This is J- Freddy versus Jason a good sort of 15 years before we would actually get to see it. But it's actually just some really nerdy kids dressed up as, as Freddy and Jason, which I, you know, I can relate to. Mm-hmm. But... Um, we do, we do get Angela's Leatherface impression, and yeah, she chainsaws the shit out of someone, which is which is quite good. <laughs> we get a, a very odd scene of um, our slutty character Ali is um, getting down for business in the, in the women's toilets, and she, I think she's meant to be receiving oral sex from a, a boy, <laughs> but his head is roughly around her sort of sternum. Yeah. Um, and she's flailing about like a wild salmon <laughs> um, while Angela is outside going Ali are you in there are you okay 
yes, I've got cramps. Just got, men, you know, menstrual cramps. It runs in the family. What the fuck are you on about? So that that's that's her, um, you know, get, getting her, to- her toilet cunnilingus. <laughs> and this leads to another um, prolonged sex scene. So it's yeah, it's getting real, it's getting real softcore. Slightly more normal sex scene though. Yes, it was less fish based. Wasn't <laughs> <laughs> writhing around with a man's head in a navel. No, um, <clears throat> but then she is eventually disposed of by getting shoved down a toilet. Yeah, and sort of devoured by leeches. Like, what, what can you see down there? Mm, shit. Yeah. What else can you <laughs> see down there? I don't know. <laughs> what am I meant to be seeing? <laughs> yeah. Why um, are you quizzing me? Yeah. What What is the right answer here? But uh, she didn't find out. She went down. She went down with shitter. Literally, mm. she just sort of a performance like the like the chef from the first film, just popping her head out the toilet every now and then to go <laughs> like covered in leeches. Goes down again. Comes back out. More leeches. <laughs> oh my god! It's going on forever. The, the kill count in this film is is quite high, considerably higher than the first film. Yeah. Not as high as the third film, but they've got a lot of a lot of teenagers to to get through here. Um, <laughs> another girl is sort of throttled from behind with like a gu- guitar wa- uh, string, I think, something like that. Some kind of wiry. Something. Yeah, so people getting knocked off left, right, and centre. We get a re- weird like dream sequence where Angela's having a flashback, but only to like earlier in the film when she was singing I'm a Happy Camper mm. and it goes all like slowed down slightly like David Lynch nightmare yeah. because she's I'm a happy camper yeah, and the yeah. screen goes like blue and you're like whoa this film's getting interesting yeah. it, well, it didn't last and I, don't, <laughs> I don't know why I don't know what the significance of that song was the strange nightmarish guilt she was having yeah so didn't really last brief pang I mean we should say that Angela in this film is Definitely the villain. There's no ambiguity here. She is yeah. a psychopath, and she likes killing. She's still quite charming while doing it. I enjoyed a lot of her Arnie one-liners that she got <laughs> and stuff like that. She had a few moments like that, but I quite um, enjoyed her as a villain much more than being the victim. So of course, uh, eventually Angela is fired for quote sending too many kids home <laughs> because yes, nobody knows that she's killing all these people because she just tells the head guy, oh, "I sent them home. They were." Drinking, send them home. They were um, fornicating is a phrase she uses a lot yeah. in these films. Uh, and eventually, the guy's like, "Well, I told you, stop sending people home." <laughs> Doesn't know that she's killing them, but he's just like, "Stop doing it. <laughs> You're fired." Um, so obviously, she goes a bit, a bit downward spiral. It's interesting because she's always been like the tough, brutal one throughout the whole film, and then suddenly you see this kind of like weak side of her. Yeah, simply for being fired. <laughs> you feel a little bit sorry for her. But then you remember she's killed all of these people, so, yeah. so not not that much. Yeah, no. So this all leads to, um, you know, all of the councillors becoming suspicious of where all these missing kids are, and they haven't really gone home, and uh, they've gone somewhere else. Uh, a bit I, a scene I really enjoyed was when they, they find Angela's lair, which yeah. is this cabin up in the woods that no one's been to before, and they bust in there, and it's like... It's like a diorama of all the characters that have been killed in the film, mm. which is not not that new. Happens in like Halloween and stuff like that, where at the end of the film, you, the characters like start falling out of wardrobes and stuff like that. But this was yeah. really cool because she sort of propped them up in chairs, and and they were all sitting in a circle as though they were just hanging out. Yeah, but and then you can see how each one had died. Like there was the yeah. charred body that had been burned, and then yeah, various other things where people would like 
knife yeah. or something. Like the woman with leeches all over her face yeah. and uh, people that have their throats slit. Yeah, it was really cool. Like they were posed as if they were still alive. And then you look a bit closer, or not even that close, and you can see you know, like a severed head or something like that. Yeah. Um, in the background, there was like just a really gnarly-looking corpse in a sleeping bag. I don't <laughs> yeah. even know who that was meant to be. It looked like uh, Mrs. Voorhees. It looked really weird. Um, but TC, the head counselor, you know, he storms in there and goes to confront her. And straight away she throws a cup of battery acid in his face yeah. and melts his face off. <laughs> because earlier in the film, in the lost property list, he said, someone stole my car battery. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. That's where it is. Face full of acid. One of the characters, Sean, um, has been beheaded and has his head stuffed in the TV. But he's, he's decapitated. Molly is like the final girl and um, they have a bit of a struggle. Angela ends up pushing her off a sort of a rocky outcrop and she falls maybe four foot yeah. to her apparent death. Yeah. Police obviously bust into the camp and everyone's dead. The owner of the camp is like his hand chopped off, people have been hung up, decapitated, disemboweled, like <laughs> a lot of stuff going on here. And then we discover that Molly isn't dead. She just hit, hit her head so she gets up and starts running away. Angela ends up hitchhiking to get out of camp, trying to drive off in the car, and then Molly stops the car, thinking it's a passerby, and then Angela sticks her head out of the window with a cowboy hat on. Howdy, partner! <laughs> that's, that's, it. that's the end of that one. Yeah. <laughs> a pretty abrupt ending. I, I think all, all three of these films do have that. What were your overall thoughts of Sleepaway Camp 2? I quite, uh, I quite enjoyed it. I thought there was um, slightly more comedy in it. There yeah. was some more memorable lines, because they bit older so there was more stuff about sex and drugs and yeah. funny lines and things so that was quite entertaining hair metal was cool <laughs> enjoyed that yeah and, it was um, good they were a bit older I, I didn't notice that until you just said it but yeah of course it's moved on just makes it more quite a few more years doesn't it yeah because the kids in the first film were quite young for a slasher film they were all yeah. like in their very early teens mm. and in these films yeah they are meant to be a bit older purely so they can get up to naughty things yeah. and then die yeah. as a result because there were more deaths that means you've got to see more interesting deaths as yeah well. and uh, but the ending was quite abrupt and not as significant mm-hmm. as the first so <laughs> uh, it was hardly the hardly the twist um, <laughs> that, that they were trying to recreate there oh my god it's Angela and she's wearing a cowboy hat. <laughs> Not quite the same uh, impact, but how could you ever, yeah. Re- how could you do that again? You can't, can you, once you've done that once? But yeah, yeah, I, like you say, it was a bit more comedy to it, it was a bit more knowing, we knowed a bit more, to have a bit more fun with the with the genre because they knew that slashes were kind of old hat by 1988 and definitely camp films were as well, so they thought, let's switch it up and go meta and break the fourth wall. Yeah, I, I just really enjoyed Pamela Springsteen. I thought she was great as this character. Mm. More beautiful. I mean, the point of her being shy in the first one was that you wouldn't think she was a killer. I understand that, but yeah. this is just a lot more fun. Her one-liners and her creative ways of killing people, so yeah. I also like the fact the policeman's son was in it. So you get early on in the film, actually, yeah. he says about like he's the son of the policeman who arrested her. A policeman with a fake moustache, we can only assume. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, there's a strange thread of continuity, isn't there? Mm. But yeah, the character Sean, we didn't really mention him too much because he's not that significant, but yeah, he was the son of the policeman who arrested her. And once he found out she was Angela Baker, he's like, oh, I'm going to get you now. Mm. I 
gave it some kind of yeah continuity. Yeah. A little bit of continuity, even though it's clearly a different actress. Yeah, yeah playing a <laughs> character, but then yeah, she's had an identity change. You know, who, who would know? So yeah, that's Sleepaway Camp Two: Unhappy Campers. Uh, and then we move on to Sleepaway Camp Three, which uh, they they churned out immediately after uh, in 1989. Yeah, Sleepaway Camp Three, subtitle Teenage Wasteland, mm-hmm. which is quite a cool title. I would I would see a film just called Teenage Wasteland personally. Yeah, 1989. They didn't mess about the actual on the poster that we mentioned for Sleepaway Camp Three is just a, a woman holding a, a bloody knife with a low cut top. They weren't very ambitious for this one because at the bottom of the poster it says in stores November 16th. So there was no there was no hope this was ever going to make it into a cinema, which I like. It was obviously going straight to VHS bin. This is more is more again. Uh, everything turned up to to 11 in this one. We get tits in the first 10 seconds. Yeah. Bloody hell, straight away. Hair metal and nudity like straight straight. Away. <laughs> Hair metal and nudity. It's probably what everybody wanted from a horror film in 1989. We get this this character introduced uh, called Maria. She's got her tits out. She's got the words milk and shake tattooed above her tits. <laughs> that was a strange decision. Um, so you sort of start to think, oh, maybe this is the, the main character, the protagonist in this film. No? <laughs> she gets run over by a bin lorry um, immediately after, uh, after being introduced. Um, Angela is driving the lorry and she chucks her in the in the back, grinds her to a pulp, we can only assume, and assumes her identity as Maria Nikostru and heads off to Camp New Horizons. Mm. So once again, name, name change, mm-hmm. Camp New Horizons. And then once the bus leaves, it just says Angela is back on a wall behind the bus. Yeah. So meta again. Mm. Uh, I was really pleased to see um, Pamela Springsteen reprising her role. I, I didn't know whether that would be the case. It's sort of a news crew there, and they're introducing the concept of this Camp New Horizons. It's essentially like a social experiment, but sort of like a class war experiment, because they're taking uh, half a dozen um, rich, affluent kids, mostly white, and teaming them up with half a dozen poor kids from poor areas, mostly not white, which, again, these films aren't politically correct, and you're going to get a lot of... a lot of playing with racial stereotypes yeah. in this film that was quite uncomfortable at Worse than the second film. Yes, very <laughs> much. If, if you thought it was politically incorrect prior to this one, it really goes all out. The uh, <laughs> we get the first of, of, of many... What well, might be my favourite thing about this film is that people constantly commenting, Angela doesn't look 17 years old. And yeah. The rest of them, because obviously she's <laughs> not... She's about 21, 22. Um, I'm, I'm assuming... Pamela Springsteen was even older. The first one of these gags is where the newsreader says, oh, you don't look 17. And she says, yeah, massive drugs. <laughs> Which you think would be a throwaway line. And then the newsreader says, oh, can you get me any coke? Yeah. I was like, what? And then I thought, oh, maybe that, maybe she's joking. No. <laughs> she's no, like, I, I, I re- such a shit of a day. I, I re- just want some coke. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. First of all, you think that Angela's joking, saying she's done loads of drugs, but then the newsreader says she wants some drugs, and then you assume that Angela's going to laugh that off. She's like, "No, I can, I can probably sort you out." <laughs> so she's uh, she goes off into the into like a shed, so you sort of know what's coming. And she comes back with like a quite a large bag. The uh, the newswoman's like, "Oh, great, thanks." So 
drives out of the camp, probably only about half a mile down the road, <laughs> and stops to snort his coke, which starts fizzing and making it bleed out the nose, so it's obviously some sort of drain cleaner or detergent or something like that. So that was that was really funny. He does. <laughs> <laughs> when we're getting introduced to our characters, obviously the, the, the rich kids are looking at the poor kids, and it's quite a, a funny line where uh, the ginger girl looks at one of the... Uh, the guy is called Tony and says, oh, I think he's hot. And the other girl says, um, he's Mexican? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, this this Mexican guy, Tony, he looks like a, um, a Mexican member of Dexy's Midnight Runners. <laughs> um, the bandana and the denim. Um, I didn't think he did look too hot, but what do I know? We're introduced uh, in the main building to the, the, the people who will be overseeing this, which is... Uh, Marsha and Herman, sort of a middle-aged couple who were doing this this camp. Uh, we're introduced to a character here called Barney, and uh, straight away he introduces himself as a cop, and uh, we realise that he is the policeman who arrested Angela in the first film, mm. whose son was killed in the second film, and now he's going to be one of the main stars of the third film. So this is an impressive level of continuity for yeah. for three consecutive horror films in the 80s. I was, I was very impressed with this. One of my favourite characters. Mexican Tony I did like. But um, there's also this uh, black kid whose name is Riff. Mm. And he's like a hard kid from Detroit. He's such a stereotype. He's really like, stereotypical. Loves has, rap music. He has a boombox at all times. Yeah. <laughs> he pulls out knives and guns and just tells people to fuck off constantly. <laughs> it's, it's, it's super inappropriate, but it's really funny as well. Um, he has just some great lines. But he gets into a scuffle with Tony in the main building and tells him to suck my dick, Spick. <laughs> Pulls a knife like Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, even more tits in this film, it has to be said. Anytime you're inside the female dorm, everyone is topless. Yeah. Just tits galore. Cameraman was having a field day. <laughs> <laughs> so we're back outside the uh, the dorms and. Everyone has to register. Uh, everyone has to show their ID. And, uh, yeah, he looks at her ID and says, no offence, but it looks like you've been through a lot in 17 years. <laughs> <laughs> and she just sort of goes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's this gag that keeps coming up and I love it. One of the poor kids is called Snowboy and um, he's constantly like graffitiing stuff and wears a leather jacket. Maybe like a punk character. He was quite ill-defined. Uh, this uh, head counselor Herman is kind of a pervy, sort of balding, grey guy. Uh, he's really creepy. He's got a Playboy bunny belt buckle. Yeah. And he keeps jiggling it. This uh, this girl who weirdly seems to be up for it. <laughs> um, he starts sort of getting down to business with her in a tent. Basically, gets gets battered by uh, by Angela. I've noticed in certainly in parts two and three, her, her favourite weapon really is just a massive stick. Yeah. Just batty with like a rubbery tree branch. Yeah. Um, it's insulting, really. Like it's like I can even kill you with this stick. I don't even need to burn you. I mean, you are if you are in the woods, it's the most accessible weapon yeah. that there is. There's another little, not a little, very brief nod here. I don't know if you caught this, but the Jason hockey mask washes up on shore. Yes, I did and see that. Pick yeah. it up, and someone says, "Oh, yeah." It's Saturday the 14th today. <laughs> uh, clever. Um, as clever as it gets in this film. We're, we also um, split 
the, the kids into two groups, so not just the poor kids and the rich kids, we mix it all up again and one group goes with uh, Herman, the pervert, and one group goes with Marsha, the older the woman, and that's uh, sort of the premise for the rest of the film is that these, these kids have been mixed together, the poor and the rich and the Tony. Uh, Tony the Mexican makes everyone nice burgers <laughs> and um, the ginger girl who fancies him um, basically she says she used to have a shit but don't worry it's not your burgers <laughs> like oh, I've got to go to the toilet but don't worry Tony it's not the burgers before <laughs> <laughs> you fancy this guy <laughs> if that wasn't awkward enough um, Tony is ordered to accompany her to the toilet and they're scared by a raccoon one of the other characters here has his face blown off with a firecracker. Yeah. For like the first portion of the film, he's constantly throwing like firecrackers and Angela's getting pissed off with it. But she lights one in his mouth and like blows quite a good portion of his face off, which I enjoy. There's a great bit where um, she blows up someone's tent somehow. I'm not quite yeah. sure how. She sets the whole thing on fire. I guess tents do go up pretty easily. This is all stuff for us to be wary of this weekend, by the way. <laughs> but, um, yeah, this guy's tent goes up in flames and he's burnt alive inside of it. And as the flames are crackling on the tent, she's got a big bag of marshmallows <laughs> and a stick, which is which is really funny. I thought they nailed the comedy in this one even more. Yeah, it it, it really moves really quickly. We're only like about half an hour into the film, and like a lot of people have died. Yeah, um, she's just there's a high body count in this film, and she's killing people not quite as creatively as in the second film. Uh, she's just getting through them as quickly as possible, really. Probably my favourite, um, you look too old to be a kid gag. The girl says, you don't look 17. She says, yes, the water supply in my town had no fluoride. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's said so quickly, you're like, what? So deadpan as well. Yeah. We get some really awkward racism from yeah. the, the character Cindy as this stuck-up kind of snob, but she's just... It starts off almost fairly innocently telling Riff to turn off his rap music. I don't, why do you listen to rap music? He goes, why do you listen to country music? Not not that she said that she did, but she's white, so she listens to country music. And it just escalates so quickly. There's N-bombs getting chucked out. Yeah. Uh, very unnecessary. I quite like this death. She gets hoisted up a flagpole yeah. by her trousers and then released <laughs> drop. and dropped. And so the, uh, she goes head first into the pavement. That was pretty <laughs> cool. And then Angela comes back immediately and says, oh, she won't be back. She's got a headache. <laughs> like James Bond, yeah, yeah, Arnie, yeah. one-liners. She gets a bit more of these. Quite a, a very weird scene with uh, one of the sort of country boys, the country sort of football guy. Um, they're ordered to be tied to each other in sort of like a three-legged race trust exercise and, and told to go fishing. And so when they get fishing, he goes, oh, I quite like being tied up. Mm -hmm. Quite turned on. <laughs> and then he sort of like leans over to have a go and she's like, no, no. He's like, what? what? I, I, I thought you were up for it. Your type always is. What does that mean? <laughs> um, and she's like, yeah, it's this weird bondage thing, which we'll, we'll come back, but Imagine that, you're, you're a teenager at camp and you discover you like bondage <laughs> while, while fishing. You've got to learn these things somehow, the earlier the better, I guess. Angela comes back um, to the campsite. It's a lot of just, this film can be summed up by Angela going from one campsite to another, killing a person in one campsite and going to the other one and saying, oh, we need to swap, and then going back to the other one and it's like a bit tedious. She tries to sort of confront Riff in his tent, tells him, Turn the music down. Turn on that rap music. And he just pulls out a gun. 
Yeah. Because he's from Detroit and he's <laughs> got a gun. We get like two racial stereotypes back to back. That the black kid has a gun and Tony the Mexican is in a gang. <laughs> and I thought, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, he wants to get out of this gang someday. He wants to go and live with the, uh, the ginger girl in Ohio. In a weird um, throwback to the last episode we did, where we got a leprechaun rapping. In this film, we get Angela does a little rap. Mm. She chucks a tape, a little mixtape, into the tent with Riff. And go, so I'll give it a go. And it's just her doing this, like, unhappy campers rap. Yeah. Which I, I don't remember. It's not as memorable as the leprechaun rap, <laughs> that's for sure. Um, but it's a brief rap, and then, and then she kills him as well by nailing um, tent pegs into him, mostly, yeah. which is quite cool. Obani, the policeman, eventually uncovers that she is Angela Baker, the woman that killed his son, and she shoots him. It's like things aren't really given room to breathe in this film. Like, <laughs> revelations are made, and then someone dies immediately. A, ca- a character is developed, and then they die. There's just so many characters to get through. They're just like, here's some character development. Now they're dead. Forget about them. Here's another character. Oh, oh shit. They're dead. It's like way too many characters in this film. character dies every like four minutes yeah. or something. The bondage guy gets um, tied up to a tree and like drawn, like horse drawn, except she's in a car. Yeah. Marsha, she gets led blindfolded and then pushed into like like a rubbish tip. So a load of bin bags. It's like a load of bin bags, and it's like a, maybe a three-foot ditch, and she gets pushed in, and she just can't get out. And she gets buried alive up to the head. So how long does she have to be flailing about in a three-foot grave with Angela slowly shoveling dirt on her for, to get up to the neck? It must yeah. have taken about 45 minutes to an hour. <laughs> is this daft? <laughs> <laughs> but it is quite brutal, because then she runs a lawnmower over her head. Yeah. I suppose it was just. I would just. I would rather have it just cut straight to her being buried up to the head and not seen the build up. Yeah. But yeah, we do get a bit where um, where Angela runs a lawnmower over her head, which is which is really good. The kids are all tied up again. The last remaining kids, and they're they're told they're going to play a game where there's there's three cabins behind you, and you've got to find Marsha. If you don't find her, I'll kill you. If you run away, I'll kill you. If you try and hurt me, I'll kill you. So yeah, Angela is eventually stabbed to death by. Uh, by one of the, the final girls here gets taken away in an ambulance with a policeman in the ambulance quite a funny bit in the ambulance where there's a policeman there saying but just kill her no point in taking her to the hospital just kill her now <laughs> she's murdered loads of people that's not how the justice system works <laughs> you know, she has to be tried and yeah. taken to the policeman's just like kill her now <laughs> no, you know, no one will need to find out yeah he's like Judge Dredd so the ambulance guy's like okay and then loads up like a syringe and then she sort of comes back to life and Injects both of them. That's pretty much it. Yeah. <laughs> this, this ending wasn't even memorable as memorable as the last one. There was not any twist really. It was just that she will she will kill again and she's escaped. Sleepaway Camp Three. What were your overall thoughts of this one, Mark? It was good. There was hair metal tits. There was a lot more deaths. It seemed like relentlessly deathy. Yeah. Um, I did quite like the whole thing about having some kind of poor campers from like poorer background and rich ones and there was like some interesting exchanges between them but <laughs> unfortunately any any character development died off quite quickly literally died off quite quickly because they were all murdered so. I think it's almost like a battle royale type concept or like a Lord of the Flies kind of concept of putting these teenagers or young people of different social classes in isolation to see what they'll do. Yeah. It was a great idea and I think they went at it really ham-fisted. Having 
characters call each other racial slurs yeah. and just are the most went, basic stereotypes. Yeah, they went too too clunky and ham fisted with their with their stereotypes, which meant, which took away from any kind of good idea that deeper they may have had originally. Mm. Yeah, they, they should have been a deeper meaning, and there are probably other films that do that kind of experiment a lot better. But this is a cheesy horror film, and that's what what they were going for. Again, I enjoyed seeing uh, you know Pamela Springsteen's version of this character. It was even more gleeful and more witty in this one. I still enjoyed her mm-hmm. killing loads of people, but it was just like there was no real trajectory or plot in this one. It was just a bit more brainless, unfortunately. Certainly an impressive body count and lots of tits in the now. Yeah, if that's your thing. <laughs> yeah, so that, that's the Sleepaway Camp uh, trilogy there. Mark, if you had to go camping with one of these films in the woods all weekend long and leave the other two at home, uh, which film would you want to spend the weekend with? I knew you'd ask me this, so I'm trying to think about it. A little tougher than previous episodes, I think. Yeah. I'm just going to go for the second one. Just put it in the middle there. It's got like more depth, but it's not so deathy as the third one that <laughs> you can't keep track of it anymore. Yeah. Um, some more interesting deaths. I think the characters are more into sex and drugs because they're older, so that like brings that out a bit more. Even though the first one had the best ending, the, the ending to the second one was like felt really flat. Um, <laughs> I think the rest of the film was quite entertaining and had some good dialogue and stuff in it. So. Yeah, I yeah I agree. I, I've yet to disagree, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I agree absolutely. I think. Funnily enough, the only other uh, trilogy we reviewed is the Basket Case trilogy, um, which, which was episode three. If you guys want to go back and listen to that, that's a perfect example like this of a, uh, a horror trilogy where they started off cheesy, campy, but didn't know it, realised it in time for the second one and, and focused on all the right things, but then by the third one it was overkill yeah. and it run out of ideas. Exactly mm. the same with Sleepaway Camp trilogy as it was, I think, with Basket Case and lots of lots of um, either horror comedy trilogies or, or just kind of tongue-in-cheek horror. So, yeah, I think by the second one they'd had a good five years to reflect on their... Like Basket Case, they'd had a good five years to reflect from the first film and realise that what people loved it because it was camp and stupid yeah. and that they should um, amplify those those particular features and and I think um, Pamela Springsteen just did a great job with the character from uh, from a very non almost non character in the first film doesn't speak much it's just there to look sort of doe eyed and innocent mm. um, it was really developed into its whole a whole other thing credit to her I would have liked to have seen her do more we did ask uh, people uh, on uh, Instagram Facebook and Twitter. Uh, to leave us feedback uh, about these films if they have any and you guys can always do that as well uh, a comment from someone on Instagram called Sid the Kid 2001 so they just watched the movie tonight the, f- uh, the first movie presumably and found it amazing um, my sister always loved it but hated the ending because of the sound Angela made uh, and the ending was a huge surprise for me so yeah. like you this is someone who's only just watched Sleepaway Camp and been lucky enough to have not had that spoiled and yeah. have seen that amazing always glad to hear of, of people who are just experiencing that image for the first time because it, it kind of stays with you uh, visually and the noise as yeah. well it's going to be the most memorable thing yeah the thing I take away from that film the most. yeah people always remember that and it's been recreated on t-shirts and posters and uh, I 
boxing in an enamel pin of just Angela <laughs> Baker's widened uh, mouth expression. And, yeah. Yeah, amazing, iconic image. If you guys want to get in touch with us at all, you can do it. Uh, we're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Schlock Tactics. You can let us know um, what you thought of the Sleepaway Camp films, which one is your favourite, um, what you thought of the twist, if you've uh, recently seen that for the first time, or what you what you thought of it uh, the first time. You can also just leave us any kind of comments about other films and other episodes, and even suggest uh, the films for us to review. If you enjoyed the Sleepaway Camp films, of course, I would recommend Friday the 13th, which is really what they were what they were trying to get at with these films. I, I maintain that every Friday the 13th film is pretty good, uh, which is why we probably won't review any of them, <laughs> necessarily. I mean, there are some cheesy ones, but yeah, I think all, the first four Friday the 13th films in particular is what Sleepaway Camp were going for. The Burning is also a great early 80s um, the slasher the summer camp uh, film as well, so there's all those sorts of things out there. Yeah, obviously things like Scream and behind the mask and films like that would, would get much more meta cabin in the woods uh, lots of films that would come more in the sort of 90s and onwards would would play around a lot more with uh, the idea that horror films exist within horror films so yeah if you've enjoyed the show and you want to hear more from us then please do subscribe uh, we release two episodes every month and if you're subscribed you'll be the first one to hear them uh, do leave us a five star review on iTunes if you wouldn't mind we are five star rated and we'd like your help to keep that going I will mention now because we know what we're reviewing next time uh, next episode we're going to be reviewing The Meg uh, brand new big budget shark film that's come out yeah. we don't know that it's going to be bad but we're, <laughs> we're staking our reputation on it so we're going to be reviewing that we're when, hoping so when, when we get a chance to see that and um, we're also going to be reviewing uh, the final Sharknado film, Sharknado Six, which I can guarantee will be will be bad. Otherwise, <laughs> why would they do it? Um, so yeah, that's going to be our next episode. Uh, get in touch if you've already seen uh, the Meg or uh, if, you, if you have opinions on the Sharknado films. I hope you do. And um, get in touch in advance, and, uh, and we'll read out your feedback. Uh, but that has been another episode of Schlock Tactics. Uh, my name is Ash, and I've been joined by Mark. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, and we will catch you next time. Bye, see ya.